Yep. In one of my favorite books, Tales of the Kingdom, the rangers who protected the forest had a standard question that they would ask one another. How goes the world? The the reply was, the world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. We live in a world that goes not well, but our king is coming again. And he will fully establish his kingdom on this earth. Now, I believe that no matter what future may or may not be described in Revelation, Jesus gave John this book to write primarily to remind his readers and us that no matter what person or power is on the throne of the kingdoms of this world, in other words, Babylon, Jesus is the true king. And he is coming back to put an end to the pretenders of the throne and to fully consummate his kingdom here on this earth. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, we have the last letter from Jesus to a church, the church of Laodicea. The church at Laodicea is in some ways the opposite of the church at Smyrna. Smyrna was a church that received nothing but praise and encouragement. While the Laodicean church was one of two that received nothing, no no commendation from Jesus at all. Smyrna was a poor church. Laodicea was wealthy. The believers in Smyrna underwent persecution for their faith. Evidently, the Laodiceans did not. The church of Smyrna did not buy into the ways of Babylon, the ways of empire. The Laodicean church went along to get along. In verse 14, Jesus introduces himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, this is the only time in Scripture where the word Amen is used as a name. It's an expression of strong affirmation. It means, so be it. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes, For all the promises of God in him, Christ, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Combining amen with faithful and true witness emphasizes the truthfulness of Jesus' testimony about this church. Jesus is the beginning of God's creation. Now, this doesn't mean, as some cults think, that Jesus was the first being to be created. The Greek word here means beginning, origin, or active cause. He is the origin, the source, the creator of the creation. Now, Paul had instructed the church in Colossae to pass his letter to them on to Laodicea. So they would have been familiar with these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Now, after telling the Laodiceans about himself, 
Jesus tells them about them. And the news isn't good. He says that he knows their works. Now, Jesus, very early in the letters to five of the seven churches, says that he knows their deeds. Deeds or works are not are important. Now, we do not have a works-based salvation. We don't work for our salvation, but works are important. James, in his epistle, speaks of our works as being very important. Essentially, they prove whether our faith is a dead or a false faith. As the old chorus goes, they will know we are Christians by our big Bibles and how we dress. That's not it? No. They will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus said that the world will know that we belong to him by our love for others. So what did the works of the Laodiceans show? Well, their faith was lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Now, that would have been very familiar with the picture being painted here. Or they would have in the church. The city didn't have its own water supply. So they were dependent on other cities. The nearby city of Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. And the city of Colossae was known for its cold water springs. So one city had hot healing springs and the other had cold, refreshing water. Laodicea didn't have a source of water, so their water was piped from Hierapolis. And by the time it traveled the five-mile distance, it was tepid, it was lukewarm, and it had lost any healing properties, not to mention having an awful taste. So Jesus says to this church, I know your deeds. They don't bring health. They don't bring refreshment. They don't do anyone any good. One of the things the early Christians were known for was the love and service they gave their brothers and sisters and their pagan neighbors. Evidently, this church was not known for that. So Jesus tells them that he is going to spit them out of his mouth. That's what you do when you... When you uh, want some nice hot coffee or a nice cold drink of water, and it's lukewarm. You get rid of it. You spit it out. Now, I'm not sure exactly what Jesus meant by that. He could have meant that the church would be destroyed. Or he could have meant that he would just leave them to eventually just fade away, keep doing what they're doing. In verse 17, we read that the Laodicean church was evidently bragging about their wealth and their self-sufficiency. I am rich and have prospered and have need of nothing. Health and wealth, gospel, anyone? The city was very wealthy. It was a banking center with a gold reserve. It was a textile center known all over the empire for highly prized garments made of a luxurious black wool. It was also a center of medicine with a school. There was a salve made from a local stone that was beneficial to those with certain eye infections. In AD 60, Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake. Rome offered to pay for the rebuilding because it was an important city 
<laughs> but the Laodiceans turned it down. They said, nah, we have enough money. We can rebuild it ourselves. So they were self-sufficient. And this attitude seemed to have seeped down to the church there. I believe that the material wealth and the self-sufficient attitude of the Laodicean church is connected to their essential usefulness as far as bringing healing or refreshment. Christians in many parts of the Roman Empire, what John is calling Babylon, did not take part in the economic life of the empire because being able to buy and sell in the market required burning a pinch of incense to show allegiance to the emperor. Christians didn't do that, so they were not allowed to buy and sell. Well, the Laodiceans evidently thought they could fudge a little bit on their allegiance to King Jesus so they could take part in the economy. Sure, we're Christians, but we're also good Roman citizens. Think of all the good we can do with that money. Well, according to Jesus, the church wasn't doing anybody any good. So they must have been spending that money on themselves. Bigger buildings, nicer carpet on the floor, things like that. They also seem to have been wrapped up in the culture of the city with its fine clothing made of luxurious black wool. Jesus tells the church that they are not really rich and self-sufficient, but rather they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. God's way of looking at things is slightly different than the ways of the children of this world. Jesus invites his church to buy gold refined in the fire from him, the true riches that come from being a follower of the king. He tells them to buy white garments to cover their nakedness. This could refer to righteous acts. In chapter 19, verse 8, we read of a bride dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, which represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then Jesus tells them to also buy eye salve so that they could anoint their eyes and see. The church could see the wealth and the style all around them and be quite comfortable with it. But they needed help to see what is really important. Jesus then tells the Laodiceans that the reason he is being so hard on them is his love for them. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Because of this, he calls them to be zealous and to repent, to turn from what they have been doing, and to follow him with their whole heart. In verse 20, Jesus tells John to write these words, which are familiar to Christians. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, you may have seen the famous or infamous painting of a quite European-looking Jesus with a neatly, neatly trimmed beard knocking on a door that has no handle on the outside. Well, this verse and picture has been used by many as an evangelistic tool. And I guess that's, that's possible. 
But when you look at the context of this verse, Jesus is issuing this invitation to his church. The church has kept him on the outside because they were trying to have Jesus and Babylon. If the church will open the door and give their total allegiance to Jesus only, he will come in and change them into who he wants them to be. The verse ends with the promise that those who invite him in and give him their allegiance will have the privilege of dining with him. This could be referring to the Lord's Supper. Could be referring to the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end. It could refer to those who invite Jesus in, communing with him, and knowing his nearness in the midst of the difficulties of life. Well, eventually... Or evidently, the church at Laodicea did open the door to Jesus. The city became a seat of a Christian bishop in the 4th century, and a church council was held there in the 4th century. And there were evidently about 20 churches in the city, including one that took up an entire city block. So the church did survive for some years. In verse 21, Jesus speaks of those who overcome. In chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, John writes, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. Jesus says these saints have overcome and will reign with him on his throne, just as he overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. Well, how did Jesus overcome? In Revelation 17, 14... And 5.5, five, we see Jesus overcoming. In chapter 5, we see a lamb that has been slain. And the elders and the living creatures singing a new song that states that the lamb was worthy because he had been slain. It was by his blood spilled on the cross that Jesus overcame all the powers of death and hell, including all of the earthly pretenders. To the throne. Caesar, Rome, Babylon thought they had gotten rid of this rabble rouser when he was taken down from the cross. And Babylon has been trying to get rid of him for the last couple thousand years. Well, I believe that as Jesus overcame by his death, so those at Laodicea and those throughout the ages who refused to bow to the kingdoms of this world and suffer for it, even to the point of death, will be the overcomers who will reign with Christ. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. It's a kingdom that comes not with a sword, but with a basin and a towel. We cannot bring in the kingdom by aligning with the kingdom of this world. And we cannot hasten the king's return by political means. 
Chapter 3 ends with the same words that Jesus said to all seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we continue to follow King Jesus and look for his return, will we be faithful to him and not listen to the voices of Babylon calling us to join them? Will we offer healing and refreshment to those around us? A few years ago, there was some discussion, there still is discussion, on whether churches should be exempt from property taxes. And at some point, someone, I believe it was a pastor of a church, um, not around here, who came up with the idea, well, look at the churches. And if they are doing good in the community, then don't tax it. If they're spending all their money on things like bigger buildings and higher salaries and so on, then tax them. Now, I don't know where the discussion is on that, but it is kind of interesting that even people who don't go to churches would be looking to see, are they doing their community any good? So will we offer healing and refreshment to those around us? May God help us. How goes the world? The world goes not well. But the kingdom comes. Maranatha. Amen.